And that's what's missing today in our gospel proclamation is accounting of the cost. And this is why so many people, not just non-believers, but believers alike, are asking the question, where is God? And they're raising their fist at God. Why do the innocent suffer? Where is God? There is no counting of the cost. There was in the early church and there is in the 1040 window, but we don't see that today. And it reminds me of the young lady who went to the pastor and said, where was God when my child died? Where was he? Where is he? And the pastor responded, the same place he was at when his son died. He was sitting on his throne. He was ruling and he was reigning. He doesn't need wisdom. He doesn't need counsel. He knows what he's doing. And scripture tells us in First Peter 1, 6 to 7, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which perishes, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Ray, I'm curious. Pleased to, to meet you. <laughs> did New Zealanders in New Zealand... Those surfer dudes, did they have surfer-type accents like California surfers have? You mean like, yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah, dude, like totally tubular. That's your best surfer? That was <laughs> really, today. really. Wait, wait, oh, let me try a better surfer. Yeah, cha. I'm, I'm doing the, tur- the turtle. The turtle. On, uh, <laughs> on Le- Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo. <laughs> cha, bro. Ray, did they? Yeah, we did pick up jargon. I got it from American surf magazines. I used to get surf magazines, and you'd you'd learn the jargon. And a lot of it came from Hawaii, like wahine and tube and pipeline and stuff like that. Did they say stuff like totally tubular? No, no, that's real California uh, valley girl. Like gag me with a spatula. <laughs> you guys remember that one? Oh, yeah. With a spoon. But yeah, I, yeah, a full confession, I grew up saying gnarly because I grew up by the beach and I still have that in my vocabulary. Well, Oscar, gnarly you're, you're pretty out. up on contemporary stuff kind Did of guy. you just call Oscar pretty? Yeah. Pretty, Oscar pretty. Pretty Oscar. Yes. No, but you'll, I'm shocked that you actually say the word rad. That was a word back when I was younger. We were talking say, about this before you showed up, literally. funny enough. Wait, are you serious? Yes. yes. Because yeah. I, I said rad. And yeah, he, the rad is like from the 80s. Yeah. So yeah, they say rad. They never was, left him. He was I'm holding on to that one, though. Well, Oscar Scott. Oscar, what year were you born? 84. <laughs> yeah, speaking <laughs> of that, I went to Berkeley University and saw them wearing tie-dye t-shirts thinking they were really with it and in, and they're from the 60s. Oh, yeah. You know, everything. Like 40 they're back. years everything later, they're wearing tie-dye t-shirts, and this is so cool. Everything ends up circling back. It's Certainly so weird. Does. I just got a sweet pair of corduroy bell bottoms. Like oh, <laughs> oh, no. I, I thought you were serious. It wouldn't surprise me. But, Ray, what was it that made you so passionate about surfing? I tried to surf once uh, over at uh, San Onofre, and I wasn't prepared because my feet were getting cut up by the rocks. I, I'm used to Huntington, <laughs> Newport. You get soft sand. Yeah. And I tried, man. I, I, see I you could on not get so up bad. on that board. But, Ray, what? It's to do with confidence and speed. Um, it's like riding a bike. I tried to buy a, ride a bike once, fell off, so I gave up. No, you just got to keep at it until you get your confidence, and the speed gives you the momentum that you need to balance. Same with surfing. Maybe two or three months it takes you to get your confidence. Once you get it, it's just like everything else. It's just wonderful, the speed. And, and 
dropping down a wave, and this is taking me back many years, and then doing a bottom cut and coming up and getting covered by the lip of the wave is just sends you through the roof. Is of it joy. just like euphoric? It is euphoric. And that's why you see guys just lift their hands and, and collapse at the pipeline because they're, I went out of the pipeline. Did you know that? No. Yeah, I went out just up to my knees. Didn't have a surfboard. I just, <laughs> I just wanted to say I've been out of the pipeline when I visited Hawaii once. But yeah, at, at places like pipeline where the tube comes over the guys, it's just... When I became a Christian, I found that same feeling, and it didn't go away. Wow. Total completeness, and I didn't have to dangle my feet as sharp bait or get cold. I just had it. Jesus Christ shall make you whole, and that's what happened. Ray, can you give us your best accent of a California surfer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The surfers very good out there. Really good. I really enjoyed it. Wheezy. <laughs> my my Indian oh. accent sends the wheezies off. Seriously, Ray, you guys ever surfed? Yeah, I grew up surfing. Mark, no, you did not. Absolutely, I lived really? uh, miles from the beach. We used to skateboard down. We had a friend who lived closer, so we'd skateboard at his house, pick up our surfboards, and go surf. Boy, how neat. Take me back. I, I lived uh, across from the beach for most of, for all my life until I was about 18 and I had a flag that my mum would pull up so I could see when I was surfing if dinner was ready. So when I was oh, surfing, awesome. oh, the flag's wow. up. I, so I, I had a well-trained. But uh, yeah, it was good to be able to see the, <laughs> see the sea from my bedroom window. Ray, we're, being that New Zealand was an island and there's so much coastline, we're... we're Oceanfront type properties as expensive as they are here. Two islands, <laughs> two islands, north <laughs> and south. But uh, no, what? not at all. They were just cheap, cheap housing. Seriously, uh, on the beach. Yeah, when I was a kid, it's like here, California could have got something real cheap. Um, even like, out at uh, Malibu, they weren't that expensive, and it's just oh. gone crazy through the roof. No, it's crazy, Mark. I'd love to envision you surfing. I just can't. Yeah, I can't either. Uh, Christian <laughs> Rob. He said, hey, Mark, I'll take you to where Easy went, right? Uh, <laughs> That's old who I went with, too. Because the waves are like a foot high. That's it. And then they go forever, and anybody can um, ride uh, that. Um, They're yeah. little baby ticklers. Shout little, out little. to Christian Robb, by the way, our good friend, who is an avid listener of Living Waters. Yeah, I love Podcast. Christian. Great snowboarder, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so I, I've only tried once, and I, I did, didn't get up. You fell off the bike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Must be harder for tall guys. Speaking of that and tall guys, Gilbert Nichols is five foot, oops, six foot 11. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He just sent me a picture of him and I standing at the ministry here, me standing next to him. I'm about five foot 11 ish, and he's six foot 11 ish. And now I'm not five foot 11. What is wrong with you? <laughs> How could you let me get away with that? I'm five, five and shrinking. I've heard you say it so much, Ray. Yeah. I didn't even catch but it. But the highlight I wanted to mention I was in San Antonio in Texas, and I've got a part in a sermon where I got to give a tract out to a guy behind me who's real tall, and I freak out. I go, you know, can I give you yeah. this? But I says, Gilbert, I want you to come up when I get to that point in my sermon to illustrate it without having to use imagination of a tall guy standing behind me. But I want you to wear cowboy boots and a. <laughs> 10-gallon hat. Oh, so he yeah. looks like he's about 15 feet. <laughs> so he did. He came up and stood behind me while I, while I did that and uh, really made the crowd laugh. Oh, yeah. He is huge. It must be horrible to be tall. And, and Ray, you remember, what was the guy's name? We did that one video of me at a bus stop and I was terrified and it went to my oh, imagination. Really good, Todd Friel? No. <laughs> uh, Hank. 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 No, Hank. Hank. Yes. Oh, that dude was huge. He's he was about 5'11". Yeah. I mean, 6'11". 5'11". Trying to make yourself taller today. (laughs) He was 6'11 and a half, Hank was. Yeah. 6'11". Todd Friel. You know, I realized the other day for the first time, you know what he always calls himself, freakishly tall. Yes. It's his initials reversed. TF, Todd Friel, FT, freakishly tall. Does he know that? I just told him the other day. His life will never be the same. Remember what we did at the conferences that we had at Transform Conferences? He wasn't allowed on the stage. (laughs) 
when he introduced me. <laughs> he'd say, here's Ray Comfort, and I'd wait until he got off the stage. And the reason for that is I didn't want to embarrass him about his tallness. I must be horribly tall like that. I'd love to see Todd Friel carry you around in one of those baby slings. <laughs> baby <laughs> slings. Yeah, make that happen. In a stroller. Yeah. yeah. Do you see right, make, that, make that happen? That's <laughs> terrible. This is from John Thompson. I look forward to every episode. Hey, Living Waters friends, I love your podcast. It is obvious to your listeners that you enjoy spending time together and that you have Fold great you. respect do, for each other. We Boy, though? we've really do deceived we? them. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoy the show. I like the topics you choose and that you approach them with humor and tact when appropriate. What I enjoy most of all is that your opinions and thoughts are biblically based and gospel-centered. It is refreshing to listen in on thoughts and perspectives from a group just wanting to live the Christian life as men, as husbands, as fathers, and constantly point toward Christ and His Word. Thank you for sharing your lives with us. Well, thank you, John. Uh, That's how we feel, right? Sharing our lives with uh, these... Easy. You should send them a free evidence Bible. (laughs) It's your expense. (laughs) Yeah, you know, we need to figure out a way how we can get people to... We need merch. Yeah, we do. We're getting merch! They're coming. We've seen the design friends of the Living Waters podcast. Oh, it's driving me crazy. Mugs. It's taking so long. This it's is a pretty mug, cool. guys. I know. I had someone hit me up recently in public about merch that they wanted. Yeah. So we'll get it soon. All right, friends, this episode of the Living Waters podcast is brought to you by the basic training course. Boy, we have sold a lot of those. 23,000? Wow. These are, I mean, these are, you know, they're high dollar courses and uh, so they, these are groups and churches and people using them, but 23,000 plus, probably wow. 24, 25, awesome. I don't know, going around the world. So friends, get it. It's uh, eight lessons on DVD. You have Kirk Cameron in there. This is a classic. We're talking about, uh, yeah, some interesting stuff regarding it. But anyway, check it out um, at livingwaters.com. And don't forget the evidence Easy. Bible. You are doing a Psalm 37 verse 4. <laughs> What am I doing? Delight yourself in the Lord. You've always wanted to announce with a deep yes, voice. Thank you. <laughs> I know. It's too fun. All right, friends. Today, we are talking about why does God allow suffering? Guys, wouldn't you say that this is probably the most common objection to the validity of Christianity that's often raised by unbelievers uh, when, you know, we're approaching. He wants to say that. Yes, we, yes, we say it. We, yes, we, yes, yes. We agree with whatever you say, yes, easy, yes. as usual. Yeah, but let me ask, let me start by by asking you guys, do you get that? Because we're hit by that all the time. I mean, wouldn't you, Ray, wouldn't you oftentimes predict that's probably going to be one of the top three objections? Yeah, it, it's it's understandable people feel like that, but they don't follow the logic of it. You don't become an atheist because you look at suffering. So I, I don't believe there's a God because there's so much suffering. That's like buying a car, a Toyota, brand new, and you, you rave about the state of the art way, way it's made. It's just a beautifully made car. Then you have a crash, and a lot of people are suffering because of the crash. There's blood everywhere and people are groaning, and you say, oh, well, no one made the car because of all the suffering. No, something went wrong with the car. The brakes failed or something like that. And so we don't say nothing made everything because of suffering. We don't say there's no God. We say something is radically wrong. And the Bible actually substantiates itself in explaining why there's suffering. In the beginning, God created everything. It was good. There was no pain, disease, suffering, dentists, or dandruff. But then came the fall and brought those horrible things in. And so the scriptures give the reason for suffering. And there's a new world coming to those that... uh, Repent and trust in Christ. So thanks for joining us on the program. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's it. You know I think I love that you start there about asking the question. And I would say there's actually two different kinds of people. There's definitely the atheist and the skeptic that asks that question as though they're playing a game of chess, trying to corner you. Mm. 
right? They, yeah. they, they want to get you. But there's another kind of person that asks that question as well. Both non-believers and Christian alike ask that question because they have themselves suffered. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. want to believe, or they do believe in a God who is all loving and all good and all powerful, but they're experiencing or have experienced suffering in their life. And that is a very challenging thing to go through. So in other words, some people ask it disingenuously as a chess move. And I think that Ray's answer was great. I think others ask that question because they sincerely want to know they're longing to understand why they're experiencing suffering in their lives. And what's amazing about the scriptures is that it answers both of those. It answers the the atheist and the skeptic as though putting them on the judgment seat we talked about in a previous episode. But it also answers those experiencing long suffering because the, the Bible is not mute on the idea of pain and suffering. It's all through the scriptures, through Ecclesiastes and Psalms. Or we could even look to Jesus himself, who was the suffering servant. In other words, God's word is not mute on the subject. It has so much for those who have suffered. And this is why it's important when this question is raised to ask the question, why are you raising this question? Yeah, You know, why is there evil? Why is there suffering inside the world? Because we're not clairvoyant. We don't know what they're going through. Maybe they are trying to put God in the dock and they're trying to accuse him of wrongdoing. Or, to Oscar's point, they have suffered. They are going through something. And I remember, and I've shared this before, but I was at Long Beach State and I had a student come up to me and say, I'm trying to understand why there is suffering in the world. To which I said, why do you ask that question, right? Of all the questions that you could raise, you ask that question, yeah. why? Right, and you're throwing it back on them to clarify their position and their situation, what they're going through. And she said, well, I'm 29 years old. I'm uh, dying. I have cancer. Both my parents are dead. I have no siblings. I have no boyfriend. And when I die, my name dies, is what she said. Wow. So she was not wanting me to go off on the ontological argument for the existence of God or hmm. the cosmos. She wanted me to come alongside. She genuinely was trying to understand the meaning of life. Yeah. Yeah. And so I said, listen, I think you're asking the wrong question, and it is, why is God so kind that he would remind me continually that I have an appointment with death? Because 150,000 people die every day, 54 million people die every single year, most of which these people are planning for tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes knocking. For you, you're not expecting for death to our life to come knocking, you're expecting death. So you're continually reminded, how kind is God to continually remind you that you were created for eternity, not for time? So how kind is God for you and I, our paths to cross, and for you to hear the saving message of the gospel, to get right with God when a lot of people will not hear this message? What are you going to do? And that was it, and it turned it around, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Asking why, and then coming alongside, and then I put her in contact uh, with our buddy, Bruce uh, Garner. Hey, listener, have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has $100 
That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. I remember that, Mark, and I distinctly remember watching you interact with that young lady. And I was so blessed by just your tenderness with her. We've talked about it before on the podcast, but I get so indescribably grieved when I see some of these street preachers being so harsh and so cold toward people. It's such a disconnect from, you know, the heart of God who, I mean, Scripture talks about Him, right? I mean, showing kindness even to, to the un- unrighteous, you know, I mean, He blesses them with life and, and, and all that they have. But yeah, I, I love that moment and that should be our heart. We need to, as we witness, we can't just be these robots that right. repeat a script. We're talking to human beings. Real people with real problems living in a fallen world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And nothing is more disgusting than the Christian that just wants to show his arrogance and prove that he's right or that he's a know-it-all, you know? And yet, at the same time, the, the question-asking approach is also really good, done in tenderness. Because when people say, well, it, look, how could there be a God when there's so much suffering? And it asks a simple question of, well, are you saying that if there was a God, he wouldn't be the kind of God that would allow suffering? And they would say yes. And then you would say, well, what do you base that on? It, it gets them thinking, right? It gets them probing into their own heart and life. Like, where does that come from? And Ray, wouldn't you say that the recognition of suffering has been placed in us by God through the connection that it shouldn't be like this. Mm-hmm. That there's something wrong with the world, that it's broken. Yeah, absolutely. As brought to mind was I was preaching at Huntington Beach once, open air, and a man walked past and he was elderly and he was absolutely furious with me to a point of tears because his wife had died of cancer and he'd seen her suffering and he would not stay and let me talk to him. Mm. I found that incredibly frustrating. I would yeah. have that that situation was difficult for me because I opened in preaching, I couldn't come alongside him. And I, I wished he'd said, I want to talk to you. Can we have dinner together or something? I would have been able to talk to him and reason with him. But yeah, it's sometimes we don't get a, an explanation. We see the righteous suffer. We see, and you've seen terrible suffering in your life, yeah. easy with your mom and that. And certain things we don't understand, even with the book of Job, we read the book of Job. And you follow through Job, and he did so well not to get upset. And then in the middle of the book of Job, he starts getting angry at the Lord. And in one sense, I want to I want to have a talk with God. And when God talked with him, he didn't give him an explanation. Yeah, He just said, who are you to speak about things when you haven't got all knowledge? And even when the Tower of Siloam fell on those men, and then Pilate came and mingled the Galileans' blood with their sacrifices, and that was an opportunity for Jesus to explain why God allowed those sort of things to happen. This was husbands, young men that had been crushed by this tower, 18 of them that were crushed in some sort of terrible accident or innocent people just worshiping God. And along comes Pilate and he has them all slaughtered and their blood yeah. mingled with their sacrifices. Yeah. Jesus could have explained why God allows that, but he didn't. He just said, huh, unless you repent, you'll perish likewise. Yeah. So there's certain things we don't have access into and we just have to conquer by faith. I love what Spurgeon said. Faith may swim where reason may only paddle. Hmm. You're trying to reason it out and you're going to just get nowhere. So you just say, Lord, I trust you in this. I don't understand why this person is suffering. I've prayed for them. They're still suffering and they, they died, but I trust you in it. And that trust can lift us. Yeah. When I think of some of the suffering I've witnessed over the course of my life, you guys remember my brother, um, maybe, boy, it's probably been about, 
10 years now or so when he got Guillain-Barre. He got West Nile virus, got bitten by a mosquito, and then that morphed into, which is what typically happens, it transforms from a virus into Guillain-Barre, which is this ascending paralysis. So it well, started I've never in his, heard of that before. Yeah, it started in his feet and it worked all the way up to his head. It's slow paralysis. Like he called my sister, he was at his, at his business and he's like, I, I don't know what's happening to my legs, you know? And so she rushed him off and he became totally paralyzed. He couldn't even blink. I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't move his whole body, totally paralyzed. And, um, you know, when he was in this induced coma for three weeks, wow. I, I mean, he, we had taken pictures. He wanted us to take pictures of him during the process, but I came across the pictures the other day. I was just scrolling through, through old pictures and, and I saw them and I just was stunned when I looked at what he looked like. You know, mm. it was absolutely horrifying. And we thought he was gonna die. You know, when he, we came, he came out of that, finally, it was like a miraculous moment. It was really amazing. But, you know, I, I think back on that. I think about watching my mom dying of cancer. I mean, she would beg me at times to shoot her and put her out of her misery. I mean, it was indescribable pain and suffering. And then to watch her die that way, you know, she turned mm-hmm. to 80 pounds of skin and bones. And so, you know, I, I can see where people in the world who who don't know the Lord, who are in that whirlwind of confusion, have that cry in their heart. Why? You know, why? What would you say to that person? Yeah. And, and that's, that's what, what I want us to talk about. You know, I think some of the things that we've already touched on are good to, to point out. First of all, compassion and mercy. And then answers, right? Answers. And, and this is the one area, and I think we've talked about it before, where a lot of times Christians will say, we don't know why there is suffering in the world. There could be nothing further from the truth. Ray touched on it earlier. We do know why. Generally speaking, there is suffering in the world. And it goes back to Genesis 2.17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And that's everything associated, right? Death is often a process. It can be immediate, but, but that's where we get disease and pain and suffering and tragedies. Our world is fallen and broken. It is under the curse of God. So how does an evolutionist explain suffering? Survival of the fittest, too bad. You don't, you don't survive, you're off. Well, you. uh, Oscar, you could probably answer that from your past. Well, that's, that's actually a really good point because I think that Christianity is the only thing that can, can truly define suffering and give us hope within it. Because if you think about it, atheism or evolutionary biology doesn't account for suffering. There's no such thing as suffering. It's just, we're just bubbling goo, exploding on each other and dying. And there's no real longing for something. There's no real thing as love. This is just happenstance, right? And honestly, if, if a younger individual or somebody suffers and dies at a younger age, good riddance, because we need to get rid of ourselves the weak and the strong are the ones that should prevail. And that is good for human society. Truly, that is what suffering comes down to is good riddance. Mm. If you look at Buddhism, the suffering, the idea of suffering in Buddhism is that you long for something you do not have. And so their answering is that suffering ultimately isn't real. Stop desiring and you'll stop suffering. You know, you suffer because a loved one has passed away. Stop desiring for them to be alive and your suffering will cease. So just become a cold stone without feeling. Absolutely. But Christianity gives us true meaning. Here's what Timothy Keller says. He says, Christianity teaches that contrary to fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contrary to Buddhism, suffering is real. Contrary to karma, suffering is often unfair. But contrary to secularism, suffering is meaningful. 
There's a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. Mm. That's good. You know, the French poet Baudelaire, he said, how can you talk about a loving God as you're kneeling at the bed of a dying child? And John Lennox responded and he said, I'm just curious, as an atheist, what do you say to your dying child? Tough luck? Right. That's the way the ball bounces? Because as an atheist, that's all you've got. Mm -hmm. It's hopeless indifference. Mm. Ray, you always talk about God paying us in wages. And, you know, that's Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Do do you sense that that gets people's attention? Oh, absolutely. It's, um, I feel as though God's given me great ammunition in that, and I can see it uh, having effect where someone's flippant about the fact they've sinned against God, and I ask them, you know what death is, don't you? And they say, what? It's wages. And they say, mm. what? So God's paying you in death for your sins. And you see their eyes widen a little. So like a, a judge gives a heinous criminal that's murdered a number of people, and he's not concerned about it. He says, they were just prostitutes. They were scum of the earth. I did society a favor. And the judge Hmm. says, I'm going to show you how serious your crime is. I's. giving you the death sentence. This is your wages. This is what's due to you. This is what we're paying you. And I say, sin is so serious to holy God, he's given you the death sentence. Your death is evidence that God is deadly serious about sin. And it widens the eyes so they can see that God is holy and perfect and righteous. And by no means clear the guilty. And they've got to face him on judgment day. That's when not only fear kicks in, but Good common sense. If you want to live, listen to the gospel. Mm. Yeah, and that's what's missing today in our gospel proclamation is accounting of the cost. And this is why so many people, not just non-believers, but believers alike, are asking the question, where is God? And they're raising their fist at God. Mm. Why do the innocent suffer? Where is God? There is no counting of the cost. There was in the early church and there is in the 1040 window, but we don't see that today. And it reminds me of the young lady who went to the pastor and said, where was God when my child died? Where was he? Where is he? And the pastor responded, the same place he was at when his son died. Mm -hmm. He was sitting on his throne. He was ruling and he was reigning. He doesn't need wisdom. He doesn't need counsel. He knows what he's doing. And scripture tells us in 1 Peter 1, 6 to 7, in this you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which perishes, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Mm. So the true believer's faith will be made sure by the trials we experience, right? So that we can rest in the knowledge that is real and will last forever, that God is in control, and He is, and I'd love to, in a little bit, talk about Romans eight twenty eight and how I share that with my kids and what that means. Yeah, I'd love uh, to come back to that for sure. I love that you, you went to, to His Son, and I think that's critical, because suffering is not a sign that there is no God, but the fact that we've rejected God. And that doesn't mean, we have to be careful though when we say that because someone might misunderstand that as a sort of karmanistic way of talking about suffering as they're like, okay, so my child is suffering from leukemia right now and that's what, because of something I did? Hmm. No, it's in the realm of the fall. And because of that, it's a consequence of the general fall of man's sin that we live in a world where children die and that's not okay. But to your point, And then maybe we get into the logical fallacies of of the issue. But to your point, here's, I think, something that has comforted me. And this came up as a good friend of mine 
one of my closest friends lost his baby before he was even a year old. Oh, yeah. This happened recently. Yeah. And, you know, it's something that, a tragedy that uh, our, our church family, our small church family has gone through uh, and stuff that we've reflected on. And, and one of the things that we have reflected on is that at the core of the cross, we talk often in light of evangelism as a cross being the substitutionary atonement. And it is that. It is no less than that. It is the great exchange, but it's not just transactional. The thing that makes the cross so valuable isn't the transaction that happens, substitutionary atonement. It's the relational aspect of what happens on the cross because at the core of it is God the Father allowing his own son yeah. to die. Hmm. And unlike you and I, if, if we lost our sons, we all have sons. If we lost our sons, like I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't stop my kid from dying, but God could. God could stop his son from dying. He could have easily have said, no way. I'm not letting him die. I'm not going to let him die for all of these people that act like I don't even exist. For mm. all of these people that reject me on a daily basis, I will not allow my only begotten son to die for my enemy. But the reality is, is that God allows him to do just like that, allows him to die for us. And along with that death tells me two things. One, he allows him to die so that one day all suffering would end. So that one day you and I would, would know what it would be like to wipe tears away, to live a life with, without this suffering, without the pain and sorrow that we have today. But it also tells me that God isn't just the God who stands over and above suffering. He is the God who has himself suffered on our behalf. Amen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I often think about what I would call conditional worship. You know, we talk about conditional love, but conditional worship, I will give God my all by way of worship and surrender and praise and allegiance if God conforms to my ways, God conforms to my concept of what God should be like. So good, easy. This is so good. That's idolatry yeah. in its highest form. And that's really the, really, American Christianity that has been exported all throughout the world. It, it, it seriously grieves me deeply. We need to be able to speak to people in tenderness and in gentleness, but in utter truth yeah. in terms of this is who God is. This is what God has allowed. God is the sovereign King of the universe who sits upon his throne. And again, like an ant talking about how it's going to give the sun a piece of its mind as it goes to stand before it. Yeah, right, you know. And my aunt would do that, but my uncle never would. <laughs> right, your aunt. <laughs> but we we have to remember that yeah, God has sovereignly decreed suffering in certain cases. I mean, listen to this, 1 Peter 4:19. Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Philippians 1:29, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Think of how that's phrased. It's been granted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you talk about granted, that's like Appointing. something, yeah, that's something it, 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 in a positive sense. And he's saying, this has been granted. You've been given this privilege. And who demonstrated that this was an honor 
more than the early disciples. Acts 9, 15 to 16, this is after Gamaliel convinced everyone. Um, oh, no, no, this is actually Paul. Listen to this, Acts 9, 15 to 16. This is uh, God speaking to Ananias when he told him to go and pray for Paul, who was Saul, who just got converted. But the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Wonderful plan. <laughs> right? What a message to carry. Hey, I'm here to tell you all that you get to suffer <laughs> for his sake. Party. And then this is where the disciples demonstrated this after they were arrested, released by the angel and then brought back. And this is Gamaliel. He's, it says in Acts 5, 40 to 42. And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing, that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Wow. You know, and James tells ah. us to consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, right? Yeah. Because God is not going to waste anything that comes inside of our lives. Amen. Yeah. One thing that we haven't addressed is very popular Epicurean argument against suffering, which goes something like, if an all-powerful, all-good, sovereign God exists, then evil does not. There is evil in the world, therefore an all-good all sovereign, all powerful God does not exist. And I think it's interesting because this, this is an argument that you'll hear often online from atheists, but it's a well disputed, disproven argument in philosophy and ethics. It's done, it's dead. And the general premise of the argument against it is that in it is presuppositions, assumptions that haven't been accounted for. We've already touched on one of them. You have to first define what evil is, right? The argument describes evil without defining evil. It assumes, it, but it's not argued for. That's right. It also assumes that we know what it would look like to have both an all-powerful, all-good, all-sovereign God and evil and suffering in the world. It assumes that we have the definition for how those two things can coexist, but we do not. We have a lower state of understanding. I love the argument of the noceums. It's like this. Uh, someone someone <laughs> once said, you know, if you walk... If you walk by a tent and you, you looked inside and you would say, there's nothing in there, there's nothing alive in there, and you walk away, what you don't see are the noceums. Noceums are these tiny little ticks that you couldn't see yeah. in, kind of, as, as Mark points to Ray. <laughs> 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 these tiny little rays, ticks that, that you cannot see unless you have a microscope, right? In other words, there's so much to the glory of God and his goodness and the way the world works that we simply do not understand. It's like yeah. me trying to explain to a one and a half year old about gravity and why he can't fly. Yeah. He can't see gravity, but he feels the presence and power of it. Yeah, so, and, and the dynamic is it not being able to fathom that we cannot fathom. Right, that's it's, good. It, it's that, that sense of like, of course I know all things, right? Just like a child has no idea why it would be in any way good to move them away from those flames or that sharp object. It's like, what? that's why they scream and cry. Well, so the atheist sets up a straw man with his description of God. What was the description of God? All-knowing, all all-powerful, all powerful, all good. and all-good, Miss out, misses out just and holy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so you've got an idol. That's right. Sorry. And he, look, this is what we have to remember. And this is Isaiah 55, eight to nine. Mm -hmm. For my yep. thoughts are not your thoughts, 
nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's the wise man who who really grasps that and says, all right, this is ridiculous. And that's going back to Job, right? God didn't answer Job's question about why he was experiencing suffering by explaining the details. He answered Job's question by pointing to who he was. Mm. He yeah. reminded of Job that Love God that. is God and Job is not. And he did and it he with 70 his, questions. Uh, and he put his hand on his mouth. Ray, you wrote a book about Job. Yes, I did. It was. <laughs> there we go again. God speaks. God speaks. That's right. Yeah. Yes. For those who don't know, Ray is notorious for writing books and then forgetting that he wrote them. <laughs> much less for, the For the believer, that is so much the answer, though. Just getting to know God and the attributes and the character of God. Uh, can I talk about Romans eight twenty eight? No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to talk about something else real quick? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to end on that. I-, I wanted to ask you this, Ray, real quick. Wouldn't you say that suffering... There goes Ray's phone. Who told us what? Alexander phones off? No, it is off. I actually planned with it and started a video. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Ray. Yeah, so Ray, wouldn't you say that- 28, that worked together for my good. Yeah, wouldn't you say that suffering, like the cold of winter, makes a house feel all the warmer? Wouldn't you say suffering makes a Christian long for eternity? That's good. No. Okay, thank you. Mark, Mark, <laughs> I, Romans I really 828. don't want to be tested on this. Let's talk about people that were given a million dollars. Ray, say, can you sing Refiner's Fire? For no, us, I wouldn't even think about singing. <laughs> but I, I do, do want to mention the pines that are in California, the Sergeant Cypress. They've got seed cones that require heat of fire to open them. Oh, yeah. And the seeds are protected from the fire behind tightly closed resin-coated scales, often so well insulated that even when the outer part of the cone is charred, the seeds inside are still protected. And what the heat does, it opens them up, and that's how they I've spread. watched a video of that. It's quite it, incredible. I mean, yeah. nothing makes me evangelize like suffering. Mm. It sounds really weird, but it, it, I know when I went through my little business with the kidney stones, I oh. just couldn't wait to get back to being healthy so I could go out on my bike as much as I can to reach the lost. Ray, the I, I, I can't even believe the pain you went through when you went through that. It was, it was unreal. Well, I, I didn't think I'd ask God to kill me, but I did at one point. That's when I was on the floor, Sue called the ambulance and I went from a 10 to a 3 by the time the ambulance got here. <laughs> there was no real pain by that. I sort of stood up and they said, and I realized, I think I mentioned it before, why they weren't disappointed because I had to pay $1,600 through insurance for that ambulance. So they were quite <laughs> right. happy to pick me up. There was no waste there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. Mark, Romans eight twenty eight. Yeah, I don't remember what it says. <laughs> <laughs> no, Romans eight twenty eight. it says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. I want to address this from a lofty view for the believer for just a moment. Um, I think for a lot of us, we have this highlighted and underlined, but we don't take it to its logical conclusion. And so in order to do that, let's slow down just a bit. We know that all things, not some things, not most things, but all things, what's working together for our good and for God's glory Everything that will ever come inside of our path, where does the loftiness of God come in? Well, if this be true, then there really is no such thing as bad news. 
And I understand that there's evil things that happen to us. We live in a crippled world because we crippled it. I understand that cancer is not a beautiful thing. Somebody being abused is not something that we typically rejoice in. But if we can pause outside of ourselves and try to get the 30,000 foot view for just a moment, we see God in the midst of our situation. Yeah. That anything that comes inside of our way, it's not like an, an issue, if, if we can use it in that terminology, it's really just a stepping stone. Our spouse's infidelity, our wayward child's um, has nothing to do with us and he's gone his way, our financial woes, that God is orchestrating and working everything for our good and for his glory, that we can raise our hands in worship. And only the believer can do that. And this goes back to Oscar's point. This is when we have a high view of God. And when we know God, when we understand the attributes and the character of God, I mean, let him who boasts in glory in this, that he knows me, that he understands me. Amen. Right? So therefore, the believer in the midst of the trial can lift up his hands in worship in a joyful, erratic focus because God will use this thing, whatever that thing is, for his glory. Right before I came on here, my son called me up and said, Dad, I was in a car accident. What? And I, and I said, how, how are you doing? He goes, I'm a little shaken. And I was thinking, do I, do I leave the podcast? But you know Easy would fire you, right? <laughs> yes. Do I leave the podcast and do I go to my son? My son said, Dad, I'm good. I'm focused. Wow. Worked it out. Awesome. I'm, I'm going to school. Is he okay? Yeah, he's great. Okay, well, he's God. great. But I, I was ready to do that. But this is what happens when you raise kids with a lofty mm. view of God. Now, I understand we need each other, right? Yeah. Now, I would have no problem, and you would have no problem, easy me leaving my son to go be there for uh, my, my child. But having a lofty view of God, it puts everything into perspective because we know the hand by which we receive what goes inside of our lives and what comes our way. Amen. And, and in doing that, he's conforming us to the image of Christ. Amen. He's causing all that to come together for good. And he's conforming us, making us more like Jesus. For the Christian, that is the greatest joy and the greatest hope. Yeah, Mark, you reminded me of a friend of mine, Trevi Axley, who's an itinerant preacher from New Zealand many, many years ago. He was in a meeting with his teenage son. His son left early. And on his way home, he saw there was an accident, stopped to help the accident and found it was his son who was impaled and oh, staring at dead. Oh, no. And Trevor Yaxley got into the car and raised his hands and surrendered to God and just worshiped the Lord. You know, and when, th that's when faith pulls you up above the yeah, situation. When my mom was, uh, was dying, I was keeping a recorded journal and, um, you know, and, so throughout the process, when we heard she was terminal and I would just do regular recordings. And then after she died, I went in my room, I dropped on my knees and I, I did the final recording of that journey. And, and I just, I said, Lord, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right. you know? And this is after, before I got saved, I would say literally, if my mom ever died, I would commit suicide. Yeah. And the, the peace and the grace and the strength that God gave in the midst of it was indescribable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we look at the lives of those that have suffered, I mean, I, we've talked about on the program before when we talked about hymns and uh, the, the writer of It Is Well With My Soul. Mm -hmm. You know, when you went 
past that. He wrote that beautiful song because he he had that focus. He knew his God. He knew the suffering was going to end. And that's the good news that we have, that he's going to wipe away every tear. All of it's going to end one day, you know? Mm. Now, you see people like Johnny Erickson Tata that, that have pressed through in the midst of their sufferings. You know, you see people like Oscar who, who suffered when he was a kid through abuse. And there was a decision to yield to the Lord because he's worthy. Again, I've been asked this question before, and so I want to address it because someone might hear, you know, I work all things out for the good. Someone might say, well, so what? I'm supposed to look at this loved one or the situation, the season I'm dying is good. And I would say all, he's working all things together. If you think about it like this, think about like the best meal that you've ever had. Let's say it's a just like the most incredible Thanksgiving meal. If you were to break that meal down into its parts, raw turkey would taste disgusting. A mouthful of cinnamon would not be edible. Yeah. To have umami in your mouth, that that's not that doesn't taste good. To have a mouthful of, you know, two tablespoons of salt, who could possibly swallow that? But the promise of the gospel, the promise of what God is doing to the believers' lives is that he's blending, he's cooking something mm-hmm. up. And that's something that he's making you more like his son, Jesus Christ. And that something is that in the end, when it goes to the fiery furnace in the oven and it comes out on the other side, it's gonna be something good. And that's the promise of heaven. What a wonderful analogy. And it's made me hungry. (laughs) (laughs) It's getting to about that time. Yeah. And it's so important to know that. And so be a sensitive and sensible Christian who doesn't go around going, oh, you know, just everything's great. God is good. You know, and I've seen people do that, man. And and the in the worst times, listen, we're called to weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. We're called to, to uh, bear with the scruples of the weak. You know, we're, we're, we're called to demonstrate love and love doesn't behave rudely, uh, right? And so l- let's remember that and, and let's understand that rejoicing in the Lord doesn't mean a fake cheesy permagrin on your face all the time. It means that beneath all of the pain and the suffering and the weeping in the morning, there is a sustaining element of joy that is based on the knowledge of the character of God. And the realization that we do deserve a lot worse. There's that saying that says, right? The question isn't, why does God let bad things happen to good people. It's why does God let good things happen to bad people? Right. Because that's what we are. And in reality, we deserve nothing less than the eternal flames and the lake of fire. So anything less than that that we experience is in reality an undeserved blessing, like we've talked about before. Mark, you look like you had something to say. No, I mean, I just don't want us to forget the fact that trials and tribulation, they come with a purpose and a reward. Yeah. As, as we go through life, we count it all joy. And then uh, James 1.12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Amen. In Romans 8.28, I think we've got to remember to those who are called according to his purposes. You must be born again, put your faith in Jesus, have your sins washed away, and then you can stand on that promise that whatever's happening to you happens for your good because of God's kindness. Amen. And you know, it was said differently, but I go the logical route with it. I say it like this. I think C.S. Lewis originally said it, but that, that pain and suffering are God's megaphone to a world that is hard of hearing. Mm. And so I hope that you let that pain and suffering get your attention. If you don't know Christ, repent and believe the gospel. You've violated God's holy law. You're deserving of his wrath and judgment. Christ came, went to that cross after living the perfect life that we could never live, 
perfectly keeping God's law. He went to that cross. He bore the wrath of God in the place of sinners and then rose again three days later. If we repent, place our faith in him and in his shed blood, uh, God will wipe your sins away and give you everlasting life. I hope you do that, friend. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Well, there you have it. Make sure to check out the basic training course at livingwaters.com, podcast at livingwaters.com. Let us know any thoughts or questions you have. Give us a rating for the podcast and make sure to join us here next time for the Living Waters podcast, where we have no idea what we're doing. chicken dinner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway. That is the Living Waters podcast. We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California. Yvonne from Crestline, California. Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina. Andrea from Anderson, Indiana. Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania. Lowell from Yakima, Washington. Don from Charleston, Illinois. John from Ford, Australia. Good on you, Mike. And Dave from Willen Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.